so very happy to have you with me today. This is the QTR podcast. First and foremost, I'm going to shout out the people that make the podcast possible. I want to note it has been a volatile year in market, and as a result, there's been a lot of investments into alternatives by some of the biggest players in finance. Goldman Sachs and BlackRock say the days of there is no alternative, T-I-N-A, are over. RIA reports 88% of surveyed advisors intend to increase allocations to alternatives over the next two years, with over half raising allocations all the way to 15%. Institutions are already maxed out at 30 to 50% into alternatives. So, what alternatives are they looking into? Goldman specifically names fine art among the ways to help protect your purchasing power. In 2022, the big three auction houses posted record high revenues of a combined $17.7 billion, the best auction year ever. The global art market is still exceeding its pre-pandemic level, according to the 2023 UBS Art Market Report. But how can we take advantage like normal schmucks like me and you? Tens of thousands of everyday investors today use Masterworks, which I have used and I love. Uh, you can invest in art without needing millions or an art degree. Uh, every painting Masterworks has sold to date has delivered a positive return to their investors, including net annualized returns of 17, 10, and 35% all this year. Now, naturally, as we always say on this show, past performance is not a guarantee of future returns. And any investing involves risk, including loss of principal. However, Masterworks' 15th exit was just a couple of days ago for an annualized net return of 77.3%. Now you can get priority access to Masterworks by using my code QTR at masterworks.com. That is masterworks.com promo code QTR. See important regulation A disclosures at masterworks.com slash CD. That information is in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my dear friends over at JM Bullion, the only place I buy my gold and silver bullion. I love JM Bullion. They have been in business for nearly a decade. They have done over $7 billion in sales. They ship discreetly. They always have wonderful inventory in stock and their prices are reasonable. I do a lot of comparative shopping and I'm constantly looking at gold websites, the nature of the business that I'm in and the things that I write about. JM Bullion always has manageable premiums when compared to others in the business and that's why I like them. And oftentimes when I see other places are out of stock, JM Bullion has inventory in stock and a fine selection of it as well. So I love going to JM Bullion. They make buying gold and silver bullion easy. They ship discreetly. They turn around my orders quickly. And QTR podcast listeners have their own point of contact at JM Bullion. If you don't want to deal with the website bullshit, just look up Laura, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com. Shoot her an email. Let her know you're a QTR podcast listener and you want help buying gold or silver bullion. If you have questions, she would be happy to answer them. Anything you need Get in touch with Laura, or you can just use the link. It's in my podcast description if you want to browse the website yourself. Either way, that's where I get my gold and silver bullion from. I love JM Bullion. This podcast also brought to you by my friend George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. George has teamed up with Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, and Brent Johnson to help you figure out how to preserve your wealth in a world of -of out-of-control central banks, something I will no doubt be talking about on today's podcast. George Gammon has two great YouTube channels, Rebel Capitalist and George Gammon, both of which I watch frequently. But Rebel Capitalist Pro members get access to all the premium content from people like Lynn Alden, 
and Chris McIntosh. I love following their forums, their mock portfolios. If you're into macro, it's always a place to bounce around new ideas. And I love George Gammon's live question and answer sessions for Rebel Capitalist Pro members. If you have a question, ask George. I have a lot. Okay, George knows a lot about the central banking system globally that I don't really friggin' understand. And so, for me, I have a lot of questions. I happen to be friends with him, so I can just send him a text message whenever I want. But if you're not... You should join Rebel Capitalist Pro so you get access to his brain whenever you want. It's well worth it. I, th- I don't know what it is. It's like $49 a month or something. You could be on that damn forum every day. You can get a new idea every day. And uh, just to have access to the Q&A, people like Brent Johnson, who is much smarter than I am and no doubt thinks I am an idiot. I know that he, <laughs> I know that he has the opposite view <clears throat> that I do when it comes to inflation. Uh, I can't articulate why because I'm not that smart. But uh, you would do well to turn my podcast off and just go on over to George's site and completely defect from my content in general. So I would recommend doing that. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at the Steam Room, my favorite piece of software brought to you by Wall Street Jesus and Sang Lucci, the original gangsters of tracking unusual options activity. These guys were doing it 10 years ago when I started in the FinTwit game. Nobody knew who they were. Nobody knew what tracking unusual options activity was. These guys pioneered it, and they remain at the tip of the spear when it comes to reading the market, psychology, sentiment, tracking flow, and actively trading. If you are an active trader, the Steam Room is a great community to surround yourself with. There's nothing like Sang Lucci, Charlie Bathgate, Wall Street Jesus. These guys have set up a beautiful, aesthetically pleasing piece of software that can accompany you on your daily trips in and out of the stock market. Uh, I don't know what that means. I just say this is what happens when Lucci doesn't provide me with a script. Actually, I think Charlie Bathgate sent me a script like a year ago, which I pom- promptly threw in my email trash. So- <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. I love you guys, and I love the Steam Room. All these people, JM Bullion Masterworks, the Steam Room, and my friend George Gammon, people that I know personally and have done business with personally, they all get my seal of approval for what little that means to you. Honest people, people that I would and have done business with, that is that. I will also say I am not an investment advisor. None of this is investment advice. I hold no licenses, no registrations. Please read all pertinent disclaimers, etc., etc., etc. Wow, I'm excited to have Ron Paul on the podcast today. All right, one of my personal heroes, somebody who many years ago I always kind of dreamed, man, I'd love to talk to this guy someday, now making a repeat appearance on the podcast. Dr. Ron Paul is a former two-time presidential candidate, uh, Republican congressman from the great state of Texas, currently chairman of the Ron Paul Institute and host of the Ron Paul Liberty Report, one of my favorite listens. Dr. Paul, how are you today? Thank you for joining me. Doing well, Chris. Nice to be with you. So, Dr. Paul, uh, you know, it's funny that I introduce you. I know you don't need an introduction to my listeners. The uh, the first thing that I wanted to pick your brain about, since we haven't talked in probably a year at least, is uh, I wanted to get your take on the uh, the House impeachment news that came out over the last couple of days, and and what your what your take is going into the twenty twenty four election here. Uh, how do you see things shaping up? Because it feels like a very precarious time for the country. Boy, it sure is, and it's hard to interpret what will happen. You know, the interpretation of 
you know, when Trump gets into trouble and he gets convicted of all those vicious crimes, and then he gets impeached twice. I mean, it, he's destroyed forever, for sure. And the more they, uh, the enemy tried to uh, discredit him, uh, the more votes he, he was getting. So uh, I think what that represents is the fact that uh, there's a growing number of people, and this is good news, a growing number of people just they don't believe the government anymore. They, they're not trustworthy and they're involved. So that's the way this is. I think most people know it's all all politics, and uh, they're going to uh, try to play this game, and uh, they they will try to you know beat one over the head with the other. And uh, the one thing is that there's one side that lying is the best tool you have. Uh, they think. But it turns out that the American people do catch on on it, and they don't uh, like to, you know, participate in this. My thoughts are that it's such a mess, uh, you know, economically and foreign policy, civil liberties, the whole works, is that uh, we're we're dealing with a country that's in total bankruptcy. Right. You know, everybody talks about the debt, so there's a financial bankruptcy, but there's a moral bankruptcy too. You know, and then and then we have a civil liberties, uh, uh, you know, problem too, it mixed in there. And uh, so we don't have a Department of Justice. What more could we have go wrong to make uh, make for chaos, which the cultural Marxists are working on? They right. love it. Yeah, I just you've been around a hell of a lot longer than I have. Uh, and you have so much more experience than I have. I've really only, to be frank with you, I got my start into politics when I watched you during your run for uh, president uh, in the early 2000s. And I actually joined your your campaign street team at the time. You were the first person I ever witnessed that I said, this guy, A, seems to be telling the truth, and B, has a voting record that supports everything that you were proclaiming on stage, which I found fascinating but since then to me it feels like and and i can't tell if it's just me getting older dr paul or is the nation really bifurcating and and becoming divided in a way i mean i feel like we say this every election cycle to some extent but you have a much larger you know sample set to work with you've been around for so much longer i mean has it has it ever felt this divided to you before Probably not. I, I think it's existed in history before because it leads to a lot of problems. But I think it's unique. Uh, you know, I'm old enough. Uh, I remember very well, uh, especially the family talking about the Depression, although I was young. I was born in the 30s. And uh, also, I was, you know, uh, very much aware, even as a young person, about World War II and the Korean War and the Vietnam War, all these things. Those, they have to be pretty tough. And I, you know, one of the reasons they gave me a little bit of uh, encouragement or a reason, another reason to become a doctor was I didn't want to be drafted and have to carry a gun to shoot people. Right. And my, it just, I couldn't do that. So that I, there were other reasons I went to medical school, but that was that was one of them. And lo and behold, I was drafted when I was in the middle of my medical training. So uh, there's a lot of problems that we were dealing with the, the missiles in Cuba at the time. That was pretty serious. So I would say there's been a lot of serious things going on. The depression was very serious, but I still think I, uh, I think what you're suggesting, and I agree 
this is different. I think it's more structural, more basic, and and uh, it's more moralistic, which is might might be a lot more important on how many bombs you have. And uh, yeah, and I think the 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 you know the disintegration of the moral fiber of this country and what's going on. And when you have to listen to people going and. Uh, uh, and, and listening to what kind of books they put in the st- into the schools for little kids. I mean, it's crazy. So I would say we're worse off in that sense, but we've had bad times before, and I say it's not a big deal. It can be solved if we do the right thing, but that's a big if. <laughs> that's like uh, one of my ifs is, is if all the politicians obeyed their oath of office and followed the Constitution, we'd be a lot better off. So it's a big if. But no, the answers are out there. I think the understanding of economics is is pretty good. We have people like you that are coming uh, about and spreading a message. I think I think it's great. But I also think it's dangerous as all get out because there there will be a breakdown. I think the debt has to be liquidated. The malinvestment has to be liquidated. We have to start over with a currency, and that will not be smooth, and it could end up with worse conditions, but I keep saying, well, that's the job that we have is to present our case for liberty and people realizing why the politicians eventually will have to do something. They think like, you know, they're uh, the handouts, the welfare state, the warfare state that has to be stopped. Uh, And that, that will be the challenge. There's going to be a lot of fighting over that. Yeah, well, you talk about doing the right thing, and and the solutions are there if we do the right thing. But it just, I don't know. To me, it feels like that that's something that may have been easier for the country in the in the '60s or the '50s than than here in 2023. It just seems we've lost our moral compass completely. I mean, I and to the you know, look, I'll go back to the example that you're using about some of the books that we're reading. In schools, I saw Senator Kennedy was reading, uh, did a reading in front of Congress a couple of days ago over some of the very graphic, explicit content in some of the books that are being placed into schools. It just feels, you know what it feels like? It almost feels like to agree that we've overthought and over-intellectualized a lot of problems, and we've wound up with solutions that are worse than the problems to begin with uh, across the board. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like the solutions are simple sometimes and and we're overthinking it? Well, I I do think that happens and that's uh but but we still have a source of getting the right information. Uh you're still broadcasting. I still have a program. I can reach people that's un- unbelievable in numbers where one individual could not have done that a few a few years back. So, uh, and, and the founders had a lot less. They had pamphlets. Uh, but That's the right. ideas are powerful. And if pamphleteering or what we do on the radio or television or, see, or, or you know, computer, you know, it's, it's magnificent, I think. But I think what, what happens is, uh, and I describe it in a little booklet I wrote recently, and that is there's been a coup. There's been a coup in the takeover of our government, and I think it's been going on especially since the 1960s. So the, the coup is now allows the uh, Department of Justice to be infected and overrun by people like Soros. So I think they have the noise and the money and the power and the clout, and that's where most people are getting their information. But the trouble, the problem is, is they don't represent the people. I, at times when I work hard to be an optimist, I said, well, I, when I look back 
at everything I did in grade school all the way through my life, I can't remember of, uh, of a real problem with people, you know, neighbors and uh, the schools that I had been going to. Now that would be different. But the churches and all, there's a lot of, a lot of good people there. And I think that's the large majority. I think the large majority, you, you know, believe in a higher law. And uh, I, I, I think there is just the George Soros's plus the other. They don't. And they, they are dedicated to nihilism. You can't know the truth. And there, so the power and the threat are the people who, the minority, a small minority. And I also blame, you know, the consequences of democracy. Democracy does that. It brings the worst out in us. And then they all they have to do is manufacture a 51% majority. Then they go and do whatever they want. Yeah, one question I thought that I did not think that I would ask you, but I'm going to ask you just based on what you uh what you just said. And I know you're a libertarian and you're a champion of freedom. So you support everybody's individual, uh, individual civil rights and, and, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. But just personally, I'd like to ask you what, what role has spirituality, religion, God played in your life, Dr. Paul? Well, I think it's always there and it's a foundation. Uh, but, uh, a lot of people who, would have similar beliefs. Uh, I th- I think of them as carrying it on their sleeve, or maybe using a tactic that I don't agree with. And uh, so I, th- my my argument is, if you do agree with the spiritualities of Christianity or other religion, that uh, if if it's worthwhile, you should do your best to study and understand and, and know what truth is and try to set an example. But I think the our government, our country should do that. And there was a time when we did that, that we were more of an example. But now, with the deterioration of the bankruptcy, the moral bankruptcy, and the financial bankruptcy, which is a moral issue, too, that is, uh, you know, the that's a that's where the real problem is 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 the people that we're hearing from uh are scaring us i mean just look at how bad the lockdown was but you know what it dissipated almost even though right now they're trying to revive it i don't don't think they're going to make it (laughs) to tell you the truth i don't think the governors who have benefited by it by resisting it are all of a sudden oh i guess i was wrong when i permitted uh, permitted people not to wear masks if they didn't (laughs) didn't want to no that's not going to happen so i think the resistance uh, was spontaneous it was occasional some people said, I'm going to the football game anyway, and I'm going to that teacher's meeting, and I'm going to tell them what I think and uh, fire people. So, no, we, we still have enough freedom to do something about it, and my goal has always been is to ref- refine it and understand it, and that's why I work with the Mises Institute to make, make sure, because I don't think uh, – I don't know you well enough to know where you got your economic education, but my guess is that the government school didn't teach you about economics, and you probably got it someplace else, so it's available. <laughs> people, people want people want want to know, and they they want somebody who has so confidence, and that it's it's not based on you know dictatorship. And I think I think the two greatest and import, most important words that people should have is uh, this idea of volunteerism. Everything should be voluntary between two people, two countries, or any, any two items uh, issues. And uh, at the same time, if you have everything is volunteerism, then there's no force used for what you want. 
you have to accomplish it some other way. I mean, that is not complicated. And, you know, when I talked to the college students, you know, during the campaign, I was impressed that they will really receive that. I said, you know, it's your life. You work hard. Be no income tax. It'll be up to you to take care of yourself. But if you screw up, <laughs> that it's you can't go to the government and right. get a bailout. And you know what? I would get as much applause on that as the other because I think if it's put on there and truthfully, you know, young people are going to say, "Oh no, I want my student loan." Yeah, right now uh, that's defunct. What didn't work out so well? We educated a lot of people, a lot of debt, and they didn't get. They got the wrong education, you know. So, so I think the evidence is so strong. We just, we just need a greater effort to keep pursuing it and get that issue out. And just remember what I said: an idea that has time has come. This cannot be stopped by an army. And uh, I, I really believe that. Yeah, that's a great line i just uh so i got my economic education because you were wondering basically from watching you uh confuse ben bernanke with such complicated questions back in the early 2000s like is gold money you know and i had to watch there and sit him think about that one for five minutes and i'm thinking to myself this is supposed to be the guy with all the answers here but uh i want to go back and just touch on the lockdowns you were talking about i saw yesterday or two days ago gavin newsom came out and kind of capitulated in one of his statements about, you know, hey, look, we didn't do the right thing the first go round. Um, And I want to just dovetail into the point that you made earlier, which is that it seems like the populace is starting to see through the lies a little bit. And so I agree with you that if they try to do the lockdowns again, I feel like the majority of the country's mind is already made up that we will not be participating in the lockdowns, in the mandates again. Do do you get that vibe also? Yes, but I also recognize uh, the limitations because we have to be very diligent and very uh, busy getting our points across because if, uh, if not and there are problems... Uh, the other side, uh, they didn't accept those two words I gave, you know, voluntarism and no violence uh, and no force. Uh, they they don't believe there is any truth and that you're allowed to use force. So when they're thinking they're going to lose out, uh, you know, on that, they might even try to take over the Department of Justice and get rid of, you know, use the FBI and the CIA against us. So that's that's what the big problem will be, although I can argue the case, well, there are some things going our way, but that's what we have to be prepared for. And that, of course, is, uh, you know, is involved with many people from a moral issue, the people who approach this from a more spiritual way, uh, you know, you don't have to tell them, you know, uh, you know, our spirituality teaches that you're not a lie, cheat, steal or kill. Right. It is, and the amazing thing to me, even if you go way before the Ten Commandments, it was in the religions, you know, in the primitive society. They knew that killing was not bad. I mean, not good. And they could be severely punished for doing that. So, so the right and wrong uh, has been known for a long time. So that that's the problem. They, they've worked hard to nihilize the, uh, the the people who are in charge, the people who have taken over the Justice Department. Uh, they they don't lie awake feeling guilty. Believe me, if if they have something they did and it wasn't successful and they didn't rob enough people and there's a there's people resisting, that might make them feel unsuccessful. But if people 
if uh, if uh, if people want to, you know, if if they try to control them, they they're they're going to be very upset with them, and we have to be prepared for that. That's why we have to have a strong presentation on our beliefs. Fortunately, I think they're very popular. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I want to know what you think of the uh, indictments against Trump. You touched on it earlier. Uh, do you think that some of it holds water? Do you think that they are legitimate? Do you think to what extent do you think the indictments are, um, you know, even handed and, and fair and balanced? And to what extent do you think that they may be uh, based on politics? <laughs> well, I think it was up to about 92 uh, criminal acts that he's been charged with and been impeached twice and and uh, everybody's willing to put him in jail. They don't even, they're trying to change the law that says he can't even be put on the ballot. I would say it's all rigged. It's, it's vicious. And he sometimes is a difficult person to defend because uh, he he won't have the same type of agreements on mili- militarism and also on, on monetary policy and debt. Right. So, uh I think that uh, the noise is all is all fake. It's all political, and uh, it, it it represents the fact that the people who are in charge of our legal system are are in charge, and uh, that's uh, I think is really really evil. But I think there's a limit. I mean, being impeached should be a negative. But it gave more energy to the people who <laughs> who, who want who want to wants to know the truth. So uh, I wanted to ask you about the spending that we're doing in Ukraine, and I kind of wanted to. I mean, I guess the question I wanted to ask you is: Have you ever seen anything so reckless as the way we are the the sums of money that we are shipping overseas, and then also the sums of money that somehow we are unable to account for billions and trillions of dollars, trillions at the Pentagon, billions that we ship overseas. They talk about it like they're rounding errors. Does this like exemplify how reckless we've gotten with monetary policy? I think the amount uh, is different because it sounds like it's so huge, but of course the dollar's worth less, so we're going to deal in huge amounts. But uh, it's it's part of a system. I mean, how much money did we spend in Vietnam? How, how many lives were killed? Civilians plus American soldiers. That's a cost that's uh, way beyond so far what's what's been involved in Ukraine. But there's a lot of cash, a lot of weapons, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of setup there that raises the potential of a, a big war with Russia. So, so that is very bad. But when it's the amount, yeah, it's, it's evil. But the, it's uh, you know our national debt is thirty what thirty two billion uh, thirty two trillion, and uh, that's that's horrible. So uh, and, and a bunch of it has been militarism, right. uh, whether. But but uh, there's a few people now, Republican conservatives, that are talking about backing off. We're spending too much money over there. We're not taking care of ourselves. But they're the same ones who want to want to send more ships uh, surrounding ta- Taiwan, and uh, the China's the enemy now. So it's it's the foreign policy you have to deal with, and uh, so I would say there has been times that have been uh, you know equivalent if you take in the in the uh, into a five county uh, 
the uh, uh, inflation and you, you know all the deficit. So that that, that is a, a big problem. But it, it's it's going to stop because we can't maintain this. This this is so outrageous. But uh, here we have the Republicans in charge. Uh, Trump was in charge with the Republicans. They they didn't do very well. So it's all talk because it because we are bankrupt. <laughs> Bankruptcy are very difficult to deal with. And you and the, the plain truth is, when you're bankrupt, the debt has to be liquidated, and all the malinvestment has to be liquidated before you can start uh, growing an economy again. And you think, well, you know, you're talking about the spending that we did with Vietnam, but that's money. I mean, at least we had somewhat sound money back then, and we were funding it, you know, with somewhat sound money i feel like we've flown off the tracks completely because now we just monetize and print trillions i mean does it does it seem more reckless in that regard to you do you think that makes a difference well it's it's at a different stage that's all yes in the 60s uh you know when johnson got in after the assassination the slogan was that we can do we can we can afford guns and butter uh, so, and, and that's when uh, that's when Barry Goldwater made a name for himself because he was speaking out against this. And uh, but so so what we were doing, we were using upscale uh, saved wealth because after World War II, we had huge amounts of gold. So really, uh, we weren't printing the money. We were, uh, you know, using using the gold because there was always a reserve there if you if you were a foreigner and you took our dollars you were allowed to have dollars and use them if you were american citizen you couldn't but if if they came and and de gaulle was the one that said i'm holding so many of these dollars and i'm tired of it he turned into dollars and the americans hated him because he wanted to take take all our gold away but yeah. that's when we went that's when we went bankrupt because we couldn't honor our commitment so yes uh it was it was a little bit different in the 60s uh in the 70s but it was uh it was because we still had license and then trust in the dollar still exists much more than it deserves but we're at a point where the monetization and expansion of the balance sheet and, uh, and uh, uh, is so much worse than it has has ever been in in nominal dollars for sure do you think that china and Russia and, you know, the, the BRICS nations now are starting to realize this, just zooming out and looking at the looking at the dollar from a global scale. Right. It feels like Saudi Arabia is now settling oil trades in Chinese currency, which is something that they had never done before. You have the BRICS nations getting together and, you know, China hoarding gold right now, talking about potentially trying to at least batting around the idea of a, of a gold-backed currency or a different reserve currency. Do you think the world is kind of taking notice of, of the dollar's precarious situation now more so than, than they ever have? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but I think they're... Uh, I thought, and a lot of other people thought in 1971 that maybe they could uh, get by and do this for a decade or so. But they're, they're still doing it. So it lasts longer than most people predict, mainly because the other currencies, even though they're struggling to get a substitute, the other currencies of the world, there's not many, a bit, uh, probably there's not many 
currencies that are available to you right now that you turn into dollars and, and use them right. because it's just not it's not practical. But their establishment of a new currency, they talk about it and they and they talk about gold and all these things, but they're not precise when they talk about convertibility. If there's no convertibility and saying if the unit is such and such and it's not it's not defined, you have to have a definition of the unit of cacao for it to work. So when the founders uh, realized the problem of the continental uh, dollar and the inflation, then they had a definition. 1792, they had precise definitions of the dollar. And off and on, we followed that pretty well up until 1971. So that... Uh, that is the issue. So yes, they want to, but I don't think it. I don't think uh, in a month from now we're going to be talking about uh, more and more people all of a sudden trading in something other than the dollar. They're so, it's so big and so powerful, and and uh, but I think it, when the when the big crunch comes, it it could end up being very very massive when there's. Uh, you know, like a, a crack-up boom, which Mises talked about. I think, I think in that, but I don't think we're on the verge of that right now. You know, Venezuela uh, and other countries have gone through that, but uh, I think there's too many people invested in the dollar and invested in America. We still have all the bombs. If we still have, uh, uh, you know, most people, you know, maybe say, yeah, this is terrible. But I think the thing that you were talking about shows there's a crack. There's a crack yeah. in the seams, and and I think it's going to get much bigger. The big thing is is uh, it's pretty hard, and we're not supposed to pretend that we know timing because there's a human human reaction to a lot of this stuff. You can't say, well, we we put this in the computer and we just calculated that we have exactly enough wealth for it to last for 15 more months. <laughs> it's not like that. Yeah, because we, they'll, they'll, there's a big psychological element to it too, right? Right, sure, that's for sure. Dr. Paul, I appreciate your time. I have one more question for you, then I'm going to let you go. I know that you're on a schedule today, and I know my listeners appreciate your time too. There's just been a lot of talk with uh, people like Mitch McConnell and Dianne Feinstein and Nancy Pelosi and even President Biden. I wanted to, I wanted to get your take on whether or not there should be age limits in politics what do you think there should be there should be some things limited uh by by age uh but i don't think it's the individual the individual should be identified uh, people should be uh should be able to wake up and get rid of those people they think uh, aren't doing too much too, too much mentally but i think the one thing that people should be concerned about is the age of the philosophy they follow. So <laughs> authoritarianism has been around since the pharaohs, <laughs> and even before that. But what we what we do is uh, too many people have reversed. Okay, say I think most people agree we did pretty well after the uh, Constitution, and up until the Progressive Era, it was it was pretty good. But now we've reversed, and we've gone. Uh, we've uh, you know, in the last hundred years, we reversed and gotten rid, uh, you know, completely of that old age. I know. I mean, we've gone back to the old age, uh, and uh, 
of, of authoritarianism that, uh, you know, our Constitution replaced. So I, I think it's the authoritarianism that's old, old-fashioned, and we need to bury it. Yeah, it feels like a little bit of a reversal of the polls. I see so many classic liberals that are so confused by the fact that the the left has become the party of censorship and big government, uh, you know, uh, big government controlling uh, what we read and, and what we can and cannot say. Uh, it's, yeah. It really feels like things have gone backwards, like you're saying. Dr. Paul, I want to thank you so much for your time. Okay. It's always a privilege to talk to you, and uh, Nation owes you a debt of gratitude for certain, Dr. Paul. Okay, very good. Talk to you later, Chris. All right, take care. That was was Dr. Rob Paul, obviously, has had enough of me by the end of that interview. But uh, I think he's jumping on to another interview he told me before he had a time constraint. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Brought to you, of course, by my friends at Masterworks, um, J.M. Bullion, George Gammon's Rebel Capitalist Pro, and also Sang Lucci, Wall Street Jesus, The Steam Room. Check them out in the podcast description. And I will be back with a new podcast relatively soon. I've been doing good, haven't I? You want to encourage me? Send me a nice note. Tell me that you like all the podcasts I've been putting out of late. I've been really, uh, I've been moving on a good clip here. All right, fools, I'm out of here.